Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and the Pistons season is over. But Ben Gulker and I are still here to give you our thoughts. Our thoughts on whether or not this season was a success, on which young guys the Pistons desperately need improvement from this offseason, and our confidence level in the front office to address this team's needs. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to build the podcast according to what you all are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this offseason. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased today to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Laz, I'm doing good. Spring has finally arrived in Michigan. Unfortunately, no more Pistons basketball to watch in the spring and summer after a very clean and tidy sweep. Ooh, that was brutal. But other than that, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah, the Bucks made some uh, spring cleaning work out Oof, of the Detroit Pistons. Man, uh, the Pistons got swept, as you said. Uh, they lost the final game, one twenty-seven to one hundred four. Um, you know, Blake Griffin managed to gut it out and play games three and four, and made I would say a, a noticeable impact, but obviously not enough of uh, an impact to come out with a winning effort. And so, uh, you know, in the wake of a sweep, we're left with two obvious questions. Uh, what, if anything, did we learn from the regular season about this Detroit Pistons team? And what, if anything, did we learn about this Detroit Pistons team from the playoffs? Yeah. So I'll start with the second question because I don't, I don't think it's a super long answer. I don't think we learned a whole lot we didn't know from the playoffs themselves. I think um, the most disappointing part of the playoffs for me was that Andre Drummond did not step up. Um, you know, we've been a fan of Andre all season, and, and Andre's been very polarizing for the fan base. And he was polarizing again, you know, for, for the playoffs because he unfortunately did not play his best basketball. He played, in fact, some of his worst basketball. Um, so that was disappointing. And so that leaves you with the unavoidable question, okay, what do you do with a Max big man who only been in two playoff series but hasn't been particularly great either time? You know, that, so that, that's a tough question moving forward. Um, The other thing we obviously learned um, that we knew already but sort of got the point driven home is that this offense is less than a work in progress without Blake Griffin. Um, You know, he he is the foundation of the offense, and without him, um, the Pistons were absolutely abysmal. Um, Defense was bad all the way around. Didn't matter who was playing and who wasn't playing. Um, But offense in particular, you know, Blake needs some help if the Pistons are going to make anything of his uh, you know, next two or three seasons while the window is still open. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that those are the two takeaways from me for the playoffs. Um, what, what did you think? So I thought that the the biggest thing that I noticed during the playoffs was just uh, the, the lack of primary uh, shot creation when Blake Griffin did not play, right? Like we had two very nice games from Luke Kennard early in the series, um, but at, at a certain point, 
um, the coaching staff of the Bucks decided to just like actually play Luke Kennard like he was a good ball handler, and then that mm-hmm. kind of and then that kind of shut that down. And so uh, without Blake, you're stuck with uh, Reggie Jackson operating in the pick and roll, which is like relatively effective. But um, at this point in, in his career, I'm not sure if Reggie can be uh, the backbone of a of a sustainable quality NBA offense. And so after that, you're left with uh, the shots created uh, for guys like Wayne Ellington and Langston Galloway that, that didn't go in. Uh, shots created for guys like Thon Maker, who are who the defenses are willing to seed guys like that those shots because they they trust that they won't make them and then um you're uh, you're left with uh guys like bruce brown who uh you know definitely brings something defensively his his play in the second quarter of game two is i think something that will will look at as a as a big positive for him moving forward um and that's experience you'd like him to get but uh there was you know he's still not uh being defended uh, in the playoffs and uh, we know that uh, teams tend to focus on uh, highlighting their opponents' weaknesses in the playoffs, and the Pistons just had uh, entirely too many obvious weaknesses in order to uh, to make it a really competitive series. Um, as far as the the first question, the regular season, what did we learn? I think we learned that um, the the most important thing that we learned is that um, we can rely on Blake Griffin to uh, play. 70 minutes or 70 games a season given that um uh, and still like shoulder a pretty big offensive load um blake didn't he broke down at the at the end of the season but i think with more careful uh, load management of him uh, throughout the entirety of the next season which is something that um, is definitely going to have to happen in the future uh, i think we can we can confidently say that uh we can expect like 65 to 70 games out of Blake every year. And if that's the case, uh, the Pistons should mostly make the playoffs and be a playoff team as long as he's here. Yeah. And I mean, thinking about lessons learned over the season, you know, if you can rewind the clock 12 months, right. From right now, um, you know, my thought was, okay, they're, they're a starting small forward caliber player away from being a team. I really wouldn't want to play in the first round. Not that you wouldn't have an advantage, but, you know, that kind of team that could maybe be explosive enough to cause you some trouble. Um, you know, had GR3 turned into that player, and if we had gotten just a little bit of good luck with health, right, so Bullock and Kennard early in the season and out of the lineup, Reggie played, you know, pretty much the whole season. Did he play all 82? Reggie Jackson played all 80 games, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but he wasn't really 100% for most of them, and then, of course, we know what happened with Blakes, right? So if we had gotten just a little bit better, luck and if we had that starting small forward guy um you know this is a team that that threatens that 45 wins plus i think in the east um so to me you know that's the big lesson it it was just unfortunate that the the front office and look they had a difficult situation no no two ways about that but if they had been able to cash in and make a starting small forward caliber guy happen instead of essentially what was a vacuum at that position for, for most of the season um you know this could have been this could have been more of a success than it was because I do think it's a success when you talk more about that. But uh, yeah, I mean, they were, they were one starter away, I think from being, from being a lot more fun and a lot more interesting. No, I, I totally agree. You shortcut the question though. I got to ask you if the season was a success before you answer that the season <laughs> was a success. Yeah, this is, you know, there's lots of discontent in the fan base and I get it. Um, you know, I, I, 
especially how we literally limped into the playoffs, right? With, with Lake literally limping yep. uh, the team into the playoffs. Um, that, right, and then getting swept, like that just leaves a foul taste, right? Like there's some sourness and some bitterness in that. But, you know, you've got to think about the last 10, 11 years of, of this franchise's history. I mean, we were we we were um, only in the playoffs twice before this season, right? So the, the year they traded Chauncey Billups for Allen Iverson, we snuck into the playoffs uh, in a really bad Eastern Conference with a losing record, uh, 39 wins that season. Um, and then, of course, the I think it was the second year of the Van Gundy era, 44 and 38. That was the best you know, the best year of, of Van Gundy's tenure. We made the playoffs then and we made them this year. So, you know, three times in the last 11 years, I think you have to include this season as a success. And then comparing to more recent history, you know, the Van Gundy squads averaged 38 wins a season uh, in this roster really was his doing with some, some minor changes by the new guys, but uh, they outperformed, you know, SVG's average by three wins. And it's a 41 and 41 team, not a winning team, but not, a losing team. So to me, that's absolutely a success, you know, kind of from the macro level. Uh, then we learned some of the things, Laz, you pointed out, um, Blake Griffin can carry a lot of weight offensively if you can manage his health. That's really good to know because his injury history was a big question mark and a big concern. We saw uh, guys like Bruce Brown, a guy who no one expected to be a contributor. Uh, he, he's a rotation NBA player, right? Um, so we learned that. We learned that Luke Kennard has a higher ceiling probably than most of us thought. And, and we saw some really great basketball out of Andre Drummond. So especially in the second half of the year post-concussion, I think we really saw Andre Drummond come into his own playoffs notwithstanding. So to me, yeah, this absolutely was a successful season. Um, that success is, you know, it's, it's uh, qualified a little bit, and it's probably not as resounding of a success as we would have wanted it to be. Um, you know, 60 games into the season, we probably were expecting a little more. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, I mean, this was a successful year, uh, and it's a good foundation for Dwayne Casey and and the rest of the core group of guys in the front office. I think. I I totally agree. I think that the the season was a success because they managed to hit the expectations they set for themselves before the season, right? Like like you said, like if you rewind, you know, 12, 10 months ago, um, this team is, you know. They, they managed to not make the playoffs with 39 wins in Stan Van Gundy's final year. New front office, new head coach. The expectation is that you're going to be a playoff team. Um, you know, that was that was the expectation when Stan Van Gundy was hired. And that didn't happen That didn't happen right away either. But uh, but in, under this regime, under this head coach, they did manage to make the playoffs. And so I think if you hit the targets you set for yourself, I don't know what to call that other than success. Like you can... Uh, I know, and I know there, we talked a little bit about the consternation in the fan base, but, uh, if you think the expectations should be higher or whether or not, you know, having low expectations is, uh, is not good enough is like, that's a whole nother discussion against, um, whether or not you hit the ex- the team hit the ex- expectations they set for themselves. Right. And so if, if they hit the expectations they set for themselves, which is to make the playoffs, uh, that counts as a, a as a success in my mind. Um, the 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 development of the the young kids will be really important moving forward um figuring out what the what going into the playoffs and seeing who was and was not able to be trusted in a playoff setting i think was really big for this front office um i think that uh where this team has an opportunity to be this team has an opportunity to look quite different in uh six months or so and so um 
around Blake Griffin and around probably Andre Drummond, but we're not a hundred percent set on that. And so I think that there's uh, knowing who can be knowing who can come along on the, the future iteration of this Pistons team, I think was, was really important. And that also helped make the season a success. Yeah. And the other thing that I'm thinking too, is, you know, two home playoff games in the new arena. Um, obviously the fans didn't have a lot to cheer about. And Laz, maybe you can speak to this a little bit because you were able to attend one of those games. But to me, it seemed like the fan base was just waiting for that moment to, you know, to just explode and really get behind the team. And unfortunately they didn't get it, but you know, that's one other thing that I would call successful. The city of Detroit still loves the Detroit Pistons and, uh, all of Michigan, we're just waiting for them to get a little bit better. And I think, you know, LCA will be rocking the way the palace was for, for the better part of a decade under the going to work Pistons. What, I don't know. What was your experience in the arena for the playoffs? So I did manage to snag uh, nosebleed seats to game three. It was definitely, uh, it was definitely an experience. I had been to LCA prior for uh, actually the first, I, I have the great fortune to be, I went to the first uh, regular season Pistons game in LCA's history, and I went to the first playoff game in the in uh, LCA. Oh, that's cool. So it is kind of yeah. cool, yeah. But um, the place was, I think the that was the loudest I had ever heard it when they uh, announced that Blake Griffin was in the starting lineup. Um, yeah. That was a big deal. Um, being able to to hang with that Bucks team for, uh, I think it was about a quarter and a half. Uh, the uh, the the crowd the crowd was really good. Um, the referees obviously uh, they got it a little a little harshly from the crowd. I think uh, deservedly so. The refs weren't great, but um, I think that it was it was really nice to see like the energy and excitement um, in in the building uh, for a playoff game, right? And you know you said you talked about the city of Detroit and the state of Michigan. Um, that's not exactly something that's that's guaranteed for. Uh, for any of the four major sports teams in Detroit right now, right? Like the, the Tigers aren't looking great. Uh, the Red Wings uh, did not make the playoffs, and I don't know how close they were. I know there's a, a lot of excitement around the uh, the hiring and return of Steve Eiserman to uh, be the general manager, but like, I'm not going to pretend to know a, a whole, whole lot about hockey, but I know the Red Wings like, are uh, rebuilding at this point in time. And, of course, the, the Lions are the uh, perpetual disappointment that is the Detroit Lions. And so... Um, if if the fans of Detroit sports are, are going to be looking for uh, playoff success in the uh, in the near future, the Pistons look like their best bet, and uh, and then they acted like it, and uh, they were really excited. But they were equally, I think, uh, frustrated and and uh, concerned after after the sweep. I think you uh, that's the dual edge of like a really passionate uh, sports city like Detroit. Is, uh, is like they're really they're really excited to be there, but like if you don't give them something to really cheer for, they're 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 not going to appreciate it very much. And uh, Tom Gore's you know acknowledged that as much in his uh, on the floor post game interview after Game Four, uh, he acknowledged the uh, the excitement of the crowd and the excitement of the city as something that like he had been wanting to see um, and wanting to bring to Detroit, and uh, and that was part of the reason why like he was uh didn't really believe in uh losing to win or, or tanking as uh as the case may be and so uh yeah i think there's <laughs> there's a lot of uh there's a lot of cool stuff that can come from this but uh definitely the uh for this next season the the pistons have to to raise expectations and guys have to to get better to to give the city of detroit some some playoff success because you know um 
holding the NBA record for consecutive playoff losses uh, over the course of uh, you know a, a decade or more is not um, where this franchise uh, I think sees itself and and wants to be. Yeah, that's a pretty that's a very disheartening record to be <laughs> to be holding at the moment when they. I, that was something that I did not realize, and when they started talking about that on the broadcast, I just thought, "Oh man, that is that's one of the worst." I mean, I'd almost rather have like consecutive games missing the playoffs than most consecutive playoff losses. That's just really disheartening. And, and I think, and you see the other teams who are up there, and it's like Charlotte's the current the current iteration of the Charlotte Hornets. It's like the next time they make the playoffs, they're also gonna they have if they get swept, like they have the potential to to eclipse the Pistons in that department. And I think it just it goes to show you how. Uh, the uh, the bottom of the middle of the Eastern Conference has uh, has been suffering and in flux for uh, for quite some time. All right, Ben. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, was the young guys. Uh, the, these Pistons are they are a playoff team, but they do have a lot of young guys on the roster. Um, the improvement and development of those young guys will be very very relevant to the future of this team. And so, out of Kyrie, Luke, Bruce, Svee, and Thon Maker. Uh, which one of those guys' uh, improvement over the course of this offseason intrigues you the most? So I'm actually really intrigued by the obvious choice, and that's Luke Kennard. Um, we've talked a lot about him, so I don't need to say it all again. But I, I think the the thing that was so surprising to me this season was his improved ball handling and distribution skills. I think for a team that has so desperately needed a secondary guy, um, you know, if there is room there to improve, right, to continue to get better, because as you mentioned, I think he, he was guarded like a ball handler in the playoffs, and, and it showed some of the limitations that he has there. If he can take another half step or a step forward, I think that could be a really good thing. Um, Bruce Brown is the other guy that gets the nod for me. If he can just somehow manage to get up into that like 32 or 33% range um, from deep, like that's just good enough to where you can't leave him wide open, right? And if, if he can even just be um, a bit of a threat, um, I think he can carve out some additional minutes for himself because um, we don't know what the roster is going to look like, but if it looks anything like it did this season, there's certainly going to be a need for his defense. Um, you know, Thon, yeah, I don't know what to say about him right now, but Spee and Kyrie, I mean, those are almost two wild cards. Um, two guys I know you're intrig- intrigued by. You had some interesting thoughts about that on on Twitter. So, I'm I'm really curious to hear what your response is to the same question. Yeah. So the the guy I think intrigues me the most right now is is actually Svi, um, because as we talked about, the the Pistons have been in such uh, dire need of of shot creation, and I think Svi gives you if he if he improves uh, to the level that I I think he'll be able to in an off season, uh, he can give you some of that. Uh, you look at. Uh, what he was able to do in the G League, and uh, I was really encouraged by the fact that he was able to get you know get one foot into the paint, get all the way to the rim, and in the half court, and and finish. And I think that's something that's that's the Pistons like desperately need. Um, you know, maybe that won't happen against NBA caliber athletes, but uh, it's definitely like good to have a guy with that kind of potential on the roster. Uh, if if all Svi does is be what you expected Glenn Robinson the third to be uh, this year, like that again, like that's a quality NBA player. That's really all the the Pistons need. Just uh, a, a level of competence, competency 
and shot creation uh, at the, at the small forward position. And I think Svi can offer that a little bit. Um, the other guy I had thoughts about on Twitter that got people riled up was, uh, was Kyrie Thomas. Uh, so Ben, what do you, what do you think of uh, Kyrie Thomas as the backup point guard uh, and, and not re-signing Ish, Ish Smith and, uh, and, you know, instructing Kyrie of this pretty early and just telling him like, Hey, like this off season, just work on your ball handling, just work on your ability to create, to create uh, with the dribble, because like, that's what we're going to need you to do for this team. Yeah. So I have a variation on the theme that I think you've introduced, but it's less about Kyrie. Um, but first of all, I'm fine with parting ways with Ish Smith. I think he won a lot of us over because he's a guy who you can consistently count to play hard, right? Like even if the shot's not going in, you know, he's going to push the ball, you know, he's going to try to create for teammates. Uh, fortunately, he's just a little bit too limited for what we needed. So I'm fine moving on with Ish. What I, when I saw your Twitter conversation about this earlier this week, I didn't really do any writing about it, but what I thought was, well, what if you slipped, um, and maybe this is Kyrie, but maybe it's Luke Kennard. These are two guys who I could think of who could maybe fit this bill. So you slip them into the air quotes point guard position, right? Um, maybe along Bruce, maybe along with Bruce Brown and, and whoever the small forward ends up being. And your perimeter defense just sort of adjusts based on matchups, right? It's not like Luke or, or Kyrie is necessarily going to be equipped to handle first string point guards. But the idea is you get a secondary ball handler out of your point guard position, which is kind of what Reggie did this year. Uh, Your offense still runs through Blake. And then you give Reggie the reins to the second unit. Um, So variation on the theme is kind of of what I mean by that. I'm super intrigued by an idea like that um, because I think, you know, Reggie by definition, like 28 minutes a game is the most you're going to get out of him, it seems like. If you could get 22 to 24 go hard minutes out of Reggie Jackson in the second unit and be a little bit creative, given you have a guy like Blake Griffin at your disposal, whose skill set is very versatile for a power forward, I'm I'm really intrigued by this idea, and, and I hope it gets explored because um, the reality is the cap profile is pretty ugly. They don't have a lot of resources, and they've got several holes, right? They've got point guard hole, a small forward hole, a power forward hole, and a backup center hole. Uh, just depending on you know how you prioritize all those things, they might need to get unconventional and, and try something creative. So I'm I'm interested in this idea. I, I hope they explore it. Um, you know, if it's Kyrie, if it's Luke, if it's somebody else, I think there's definitely merit to it. All right. So I hadn't really entertained the idea of Reg Jackson off the bench. That is an intriguing one. Um, I don't know if it's feasible, like in a locker room where Reggie's been the starter for four years and is in the yeah. final, final year of his deal that's paying him $18 million a year. Like, I don't know if you can tell that guy to sit. But uh, I am intrigued by it because we saw over the course of this year that Dwayne Casey, uh, even when Reggie was playing well, just does not fully trust Reggie Jackson. And so kind of limiting his role, but um, expanding the – telling him to – uh, that he's not going to start, but that he's uh, that he's going to be the guy like when he's on the floor. I think is is really intriguing. Um, we did see that there was um, there, or you know, during the course of the regular season, Reggie and Blake kind of learned how to learned a little bit how to play with each other in the clutch. But um, we did see like at some times that there was uh, you know Reggie a little Reggie hero ball when Blake was on the floor and and you know Blake's on the floor like he in the clutch like he needs to have the ball and so there was uh, some element of that. Um, so yeah, that, that is an idea that intrigues me. That's a, that's a good one, Ben, but what, so, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about like Reggie mostly standing around on the perimeter, right. Especially in first quarters of games, right. 
and I'm thinking of um, those last handful of games in the regular season and even into the first two games of the playoffs where Reggie had the ball in his hands and he wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he just looked better. Like he just looked more like Reggie Jackson. And I'm also thinking about if you think about the second unit and how much Ish has the ball in his hands with that second unit. And look, the second unit is going to be a little bit different. Sure. But it's not going to be, you know, radically different. Like that's several of those same guys are going to be back to me. And, okay. And the other factor I was thinking about was look at how many times uh, Casey stayed with Ish Smith in the fourth quarter to close out game. So maybe that gets to your ego slash contract slash role question a little bit. Like if you can, sell Reggie on the idea that, um, you know, when you're in the game, it's your show and we need you to be the best player you can be in those minutes. Um, and then also if there's opportunities for him in crunch time as well, maybe, maybe that gets the most out of him. I don't know. I just, I think it's worth, I think it's worth thinking about. No. Yeah. And so, so when I was thinking about Kyrie coming off the bench as the backup point guard, I was thinking about it kind of in a, um, like a, a much a lesser version of the like Patrick Beverly, like Lou Williams backcourt that I watched a couple games of in the playoffs where uh, like Lou Kennard is the Lou Williams in this situation where he is initiating a lot of the offense for that second unit. Um, he is the guy with the ball in his hands like most of the time. But, um, you know, being the guy with the ball in your hands all the time is tiring. Uh, it does force defenses to key on you. And so if you have a guy like like uh, Patrick Beverly, like a uh, uh, Kyrie Thomas who can who can bring the ball up the court without like, you know, tripping over himself and, and messing up and who can uh, defend opposing point guards pretty vigorously. Um, I think that is that is a recipe for an interesting off the bench backcourt. Um, I do think that Luke has Luke played so well um, that he needs to be emphasized. Um, there is an open question of how much he can be emphasized in a lineup that includes like Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. And so uh, I think that uh, for right now, uh, Luke's best role for this team remains like as the sixth man, like uh, it's his show when it's off the bench. But if you, if you flipped Reggie to the bench and put Luke in the starting lineup and it's Luke's show a little bit more uh, when he's, uh, on the court. Like, I think that that could be intriguing too, to, to play off your idea. But I was really thinking when I when I put Kyrie uh, off the bench, I was really thinking like Luke is the guy that operates with the ball in his hands the most, but that Kyrie kind of brings the ball up. Um, and then the, you shift the offense like from, from there. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely does. And I think part of it depends too on small forward. If they can get a guy who can shoot on somehow <laughs> with one of their exceptions, right? Like, tall order but if they can get a guy who can shoot at small forward um the the potential to have four guys who can shoot from deep is is really intriguing right so regardless of who you put in at the one and two we've got enough shooters to make that happen somehow if we can just manage to get the the infamous small forward and i think you know with with all of the dynamics of blake griffin's game if you can have three shooters out there with him everything looks (laughs) dramatically better yeah and even getting him to a point where it's, you know, three shooters, Blake and Andre, and you're running, and he's healthy enough, and Blake is healthy enough to run Blake, Andre, pick and rolls. Oh, my gosh. That was so effective yeah. in the playoffs. And, <laughs> and that was something that a lot of defenses in the NBA, like with the emphasis on switchability and the uh, de-emphasis on size, like uh, two big dudes running that, running that action is not yes. something that a lot of teams are equipped yes. to handle. And so – yeah. I agree. I agree. And the Pistons, like 
the the big man jumbo front line is a double-edged sword, right? And this year I felt like we saw the negatives more than we saw the positives, but then I just loved that pick and roll action in the playoffs. And I think you're absolutely correct. There are lots of guys who can switch one through four, but there are, excuse me, lots of teams. There are not a lot of teams who can switch four or five all that easily anymore because so many teams have small fours now. Um, and, and Blake just did a masterful job, right? Like, I mean, he had just so much creativity in terms of when to dish and when to finish. Um, so that's a huge luxury that I think if you're going to stick with those two big guys, you got to be creative and, and learn how to, to punish teams who stay small against yeah, them. And if, and if they're running that action and they're defending it with guys who you would normally think of as a four and a three, well, it's like if you, if they switch that action and put the, put the, now Blake is like on a guy who he would normally guard. Well, you know, that leaves a small forward on Andre Drummond. And if Blake gets around that guy, like then there's an open lane to the rim and there's nothing that's going to keep Andre off the offensive glass or anything like that. And- yeah. And the other thing it does that I really liked, and this is a little bit unique because Giannis plays the four for Milwaukee so much. So it kind of threw a wrench in it. But the idea is if they do switch, you've presumably got the, the opponent's best shot blocker on Blake Griffin, as opposed to rotating over to Blake Griffin, which I think, potentially makes life easier for him around the rim. So that that's the other hidden benefit there, I think. No, yeah, that's a that's a good benefit. Um so yeah, this this team making use making the finding the way to make the best use of what talent this team has on the roster is going to be like the main uh, key for this front office in this in this offseason and uh, in the offseason in the future. And I'm I don't know, I'm what what level of confidence do you have in the front office, Ben? I feel like uh, I feel pretty I feel pretty good right now. Uh, they've had some hits and they've had some misses. Uh, I liked the draft selections they made. Um, obviously, Zaza bringing in Zaza and Jose Calderon like was was okay and, until it wasn't, and then they kind of whiffed on the Glenn Robinson the third signing. But I I liked the idea behind it, and it was like a nice swing and you. You understand how it couldn't have worked, but you also understand like why it didn't. So, so what are you thinking about the front office heading into this offseason? Yeah, another point of contention among fans, I know. Um, so G- Glenn Robinson proved to be a miss, but the rationale was right. So they ended up failing, but for the right reasons. And the thing they did, though, um, with GR3 that I think makes sense is it was a very team-friendly contract. So they didn't lock themselves up into a solution that doesn't work. Um, you know, think, think about the contracts we're currently dealing with from the SVG era, yeah, the Langston you, Galloway, excellent point, right? yeah. the Josh Smith, the John Lures. Um, that in and of itself is a, is a small victory. You're right about the draft. I expected nothing out of those two guys, and both of them look like they have a fighting chance to stick somewhere. So that's exciting. Um, I like what they did at the trade deadline. I think, um, you know, eliminating Stanley Johnson from the team, he was always the wrong fit finally we got a front office willing to do something with it. And I think they, they won the trade deadline. I mean, um, Thon, I'm not sold on Thon Maker yet. I hope he continues to develop, um, but I still think they won that, even if, if Thon doesn't turn into anything spectacular. Svi is an interesting prospect. So I think they did a, a fine job, a better than average job is, is what I would say. Um, if anything, they were a little too cautious, I think. Like, I obviously don't know what deals were available to them and not, but... They certainly played it safe um, for the most part, and I think that was okay. They didn't. They wanted to get out of some of these financial situations before they did anything drastic, and, and I think they're on a good path to do that. You know, that said, this is this is a big task ahead of them. So they've got 
two positions they absolutely have to address. They can't not address these things. They have to address backup point guard and they have to address backup center uh, because Ish Smith's contract is expiring and so is Zaza's. And I think bringing both of those or either of those guys back probably doesn't make a ton of sense. Then depending on how you feel about small forward and power forward, um, they either need a starting small forward or they need a backup small forward. And they, they need at least one more big, right? Because um, unless you want to play John Luer, I, th- I think you need some other, you need, you need someone to give Thon a run for his money, I think, at backup power forward or a guy who can maybe play backup forward and backup center. So three or four positions, depending on how you consider the big man situation that you've really got to address in order to not give ground. And, th- and that's just to not give ground, right? Except for the small forward position that would be, you know, gaining a little bit of ground. So there's a lot of work to do. Um, the other thing I just can't shake is uh, Blake Griffin, as he gets older, as you brought up, as they consider load management, um, I don't think it's unrealistic to find, think we could find ourselves in a situation next year where he's playing like 68 to 70 games. So you'd like to see them bring in somebody who's a little bit more dynamic in the front court who can help spell you in those games where you know, maybe they come up with a policy where he rests on the second leg of a back-to-back, et cetera. Um, so if, if, you, if you think about all the open roster spots and you take into account intentionally let resting Blake Griffin, you've got some work to do just to tread water. So uh, the, the front office is going to have to earn its money this summer for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. I know that I think the, the what this front office prioritizes on the first day of free agency and what they select with their first round pick will be very large indicators into what they think the, the uh, will drive them uh, forward uh, this offseason. And I and there was one more thing that uh, they, they that they did this past season, or, or rather, what they didn't do. Right? They didn't like sacrifice the future. They didn't trade like Luke right. in a first round pick and Reggie Jackson to get like Mike Conley or something that would that would lock them into uh, a, maybe a better team, but a team that uh, couldn't could not be very easily changed. And so uh, I think I have a, I have a, like a B level of confidence in this front office. I'm very curious to see what they do with the, uh, with the first round draft pick. I'm very curious to see what they do in, um, in the early days of free agency. Um, I'm curious to see if they can uh, be aggressive in the trade market, um, making any, any deals from uh, the shooting guard for, or make dealing out any of the shooting guards when they have a surplus of shooting guards. Um, I know that uh, the I, I'm afraid of a of a Chris Middleton situation where they if they uh, manage to uh, attach like a Kyrie or a Bruce to uh, to one of the bad deals that they have uh, a Langston or a John Luer to get somebody who can be productive, but um, I mean that that possibility remains on the table, um, and so uh, and you know I also uh, don't. I'm I'm really just not quite sure what to make of Thonmaker. Thonmaker was so ineffective in the playoffs, but the Bucks have mm. a a very detailed scouting report <laughs> on him. Yeah, it was the worst case scenario for poor Thonmaker. <laughs> yeah, and he was, and you could tell he was very emotional and very hyped up to to be there. Yeah. and so yeah, he wanted it for sure. And, and you know, wanting it too much is not a good thing. Just and just like wanting it uh, not enough is not a good thing. And so, uh, and he's you know he's young. He's got potential he sounded in his uh exit interviews he sounded like a, with the media he sounded like a person who knew uh, exactly what he had to work on this offseason uh, getting stronger and, and finishing around the rim and so 
Uh, hopefully he'll be able to accomplish that. Um, but yeah, man, like I don't know what to do with Don. I don't know what to do with Don. But that that's yeah. not the not, that's not the largest question they have this offseason. But it would I would like to get that resolved. Yeah, they, and they have like this this. Uh, if you just look at the number of men they have at each position, the only position where they're super thin is point guard and small forward, right? I mean, for, so for me to say, yeah, they really need to bring in a big guy. Well, they've got four bigs <laughs> under contract. It's just that obviously Casey doesn't trust Lure, and he's probably right not to. And Thonmaker's still a question mark. So you've got to shore that up somehow. But how do you do that when you've got all these shooting guards and you know all these bigs already? So there's creativity there certainly needs to be some creative thinking this summer all right ben we will have to do our own creative thinking this summer the draft is in like three weeks free agency is like another three weeks after that we'll do some like summer league stuff we'll do some we'll do some free agent podcasts and stuff but uh as long as the uh, the current playoffs are happening and the pistons aren't in it uh, there's not a whole whole lot to talk about in pistons land but we'll still we'll still figure some stuff out i'm sure yeah you know, and let's take an opportunity. Thanks to everyone who's come along for the ride with us this year. It was a heck of a roller coaster. I mean, there were some high highs and some low lows this year. Laz, it's been fun to talk through them with you all season. For everyone who's listened and hit us up in the comments, shouted out us on Twitter and uh, given, given us stuff to talk about. You know, thanks to all of you for, for participating with us. I, I could not have said it better myself, Ben. All right. This has been the uh, Detroit Bad Boys podcast. And uh, we will talk to you guys this offseason.